finding hope. And isn't it great to sing that song, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul. He is with us. It's great to, to fill up on that hope. You know, in, in Hebrews 10.23, it says, let us hold tightly without wavering, hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. And when we come and we gather and we sing those songs, that's part of what we're doing. We're, we're holding tightly to the hope we affirm. But boy, isn't that hard to do sometimes? If we're honest, isn't there times when our hope wavers? I mean, and isn't, doesn't it seem like maybe right now in the midst of everything that goes on, our hope can waver uh, a little bit because there's so many things, no matter how much we try to muster up hope, there's so many things in this world that are like hope killers, right? So many of them, like, like things like pain and, and suffering, it's hard to have hope when you don't know when the pain will end. It's hard to be hopeful when you're hurting or, or worry. And Don talked about this last week. Worry tends to choke off our hope or uncertainty. When we don't know what's going to happen next, if it's going to be good or bad, it's hard to have hope. Or when we see evil in the world, whether we see it out in the world, other people treating other people in a way that is hurtful or wrong or unjust. But then also when we ourselves find that evil in our own hearts. It can drain our hope when we realize what's really going on inside of our heart and how selfish and greedy we can actually be. Our failures, our failures drain our hope. When we fail at something, how, how can I have hope when I just keep messing up? Disappointment, unmet expectations. There's a great verse that says, uh, hope deferred makes the heart sick. When we have expectations and those expectations go up, go, uh, those expectations go unmet, our hope is drained Isolation, when we feel disconnected, like nobody really sees us. Like our life doesn't really matter because we're not making an impact in other people's lives or, or distrust. We lose hope when we feel we can't trust other people to do their part. Now, I know it's a little depressing to talk about these things, and you're not supposed to talk about depressing things in church, especially on the day you're talking about hope. But I also think that church should be a place where we can talk about difficult things, shouldn't it? Shouldn't it be a safe place where we can acknowledge the hardships and the realities of life? And can we just admit that right now there's a lot of hard things going on? How many of you are following what's going on in Afghanistan right now? And you read about the, the 19-year-old Afghan soccer player who was so desperate to leave Afghanistan that he hung on to the landing gear of a moving military aircraft and ended up losing his life. Or, or Haiti, where there's, there was an earthquake, and, and I think it's 1,900, 2,000 people, last I read, have lost their lives. Or the crisis in Lebanon, if you're following that, where there virtually is no government, and the infrastructure is all falling apart. We have a partner in ministry out there, Camille Melki, who runs an organization called Heart for Lebanon, and he did a, a Zoom call this week, and he talked about how the situation there is one of the worst he's ever seen. It's incredibly dire. And so, by the way, after service today, we're going to be praying for Lebanon. After our second service, 1145, we'll be praying for Lebanon. If you want to know more about how you can help with Camille Melki, they're on the ground doing great stuff. You can go to their website, Heart for Lebanon, and the website will be up there here for just a second. Check that out. It's always a good way for us to be able to help when we can. But even, even, even locally, there's, there's, there's uh, hope killers that are, that are 
crowding in on us. I have a friend who woke up this week to uh, a double homicide that had happened across the street from them. Then a couple days later, I got a text from a friend of mine saying that they didn't think their marriage was gonna, was gonna last. And then I spent time this week with a widow who's still angry and grieving over the loss of their husband. And let's be honest too, a lot of us just in this church are experiencing uncertainty because we're looking for a senior pastor. And we're wondering, what does that look like? Is the, the church that I hope, that the church that I love, is it going to change? Is it going to become something different? Who is that next person to me? Am I going to like them? There's uncertainty about that. And, and one of the reasons why all these things eat away and drain at our hope is because of, uh, they attack the very foundation of where we find our hope so often. And, and I want to illustrate that by something I call the hope equation. Yes, we're going to do math. How many of you like math? Good for you. I don't. But we're, so, but we're going to do the hope equation. So, okay, so you see HQ on the left. That's your hope quotient. And it goes up and down depending upon three main factors, okay, three main factors. The first one, we start with our preferred outcomes, right? We, our hope starts with what do we want to happen? This is what we call our hope list we've been talking about. I hope to get married. I hope to have kids. I hope to have a, a great job. I hope to go on vacation to Tahiti and, and not the Phil Coulson kind of Tahiti and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. where they put alien blood in your veins. Anybody know that reference? Great, great. I'm not the only one. Um... Right, they're preferred outcomes. And then, and then that's multiplied. And, and that preferred outcome, the, 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 the more important that outcome is, the higher the HQ is. And the lower, lower it is, the, the less important it is. And then, then in the parentheses there, you have a competency. Our confidence in our competency to achieve that preferred outcome. How able are we to get to that outcome? Minus the difficulty of achieving that outcome. Right? Pretty simple equation. Our competency in being able to achieve our preferred outcome minus the difficulty of that outcome multiplied how important it is by how important it is to us gives us our hope quotient. So how many of you ever played sports? This happens in sports, right? You say, how good am I? How good is my opponent? And if you think that you're better than your opponent, you walk into that game, that match, with hope. If you think you're going to get creamed, you say, I'm just going to have a good time. <laughs> and we're just going to play hard and do our best, right? This is, this is what, what the hope equation looks like for most of us. And it works pretty well as long, well, there's a couple variations of this first. There's a couple variations of this I want to talk about, okay? So one variation is, uh, is, is we just ignore the difficulties altogether. This is blind optimism, right? We just say, well, pfft. It's not going to be that hard. I'm just not going to pay attention. It's just, just blind optimism. I'm not going to look at the difficulties. I'm not going to spend time. I'm just, just going to go forward. It can be a little bit reckless at times. And then sometimes we have an overinflated sense of our own competency. This is the Superman complex. I can take anything that comes at me. I can do it. There's nothing that's too big for me to handle on my own. Sometimes we ignore the whole competency and difficulty part of the equation altogether and we rely on blind luck. And that's what I call wishful thinking. That's like, I hope I win the lottery, right? And then there's, there's, there's uh, ambivalent or apathetic hope, which is where we're like, I don't care what happens. Like, I, I don't even know. I, I don't really set goals. I, I, I'm just go with the flow, man. I'll take whatever comes. 
All these are, are rooted in the same basic hope equation of my competency, the difficulties multiplied by my preferred outcome. And as long as we get our preferred outcome, that equation works pretty well. Of course, the elephant in the room is that we don't always get our preferred outcomes, do we? Sometimes, instead of our preferred outcome, we get pain. And we get evil. And we get sickness. And we get suffering. Or there's times when the difficulty of, uh, of, of achieving our preferred outcome is too great for us. It's too high and we start to worry or we have failures and that make us doubt our competency or we get isolated and we don't have the help we need. Or we get in corporate settings where we're, 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 we're maybe part of a family or a team or, or a church and, and we're actually pretty good about our own competency but we distrust everyone else's. And we start to lose hope, not because we doubt ourselves. We say, ah, no, if I was in charge, I'd be okay. But i got to somehow trust all of you. And so we don't get what we want. And so the word that I use to describe this kind of hope is actually conditional hope. It's conditional hope because it's dependent upon getting our preferred outcome. It's dependent upon our competencies. It's dependent upon us. And, and we know that in the end, isn't it funny that we almost always use the word hope nowadays when we doubt that it will actually happen? I hope it tastes good. I hope we don't run out of gas. I hope this other person likes me. Like we only use the word hope when, when we're not sure that it's actually going to happen because we see hope as conditional. And so when we live by that equation, and we don't reach our preferred outcome, our hope takes a hit, and it takes a hit, and it takes a hit, and it takes a hit over and over again until we're scraping the bottom of the hope barrel. So how do we respond? How do we respond in the midst of all of that? How do we find hope in the midst of all of that? Or do we find hope? Is it even worth it? Is it even worth it to find hope? Is it wise? Are we just setting ourselves up for more and more disappointment because we really can't control our preferred outcome? Should we even bother finding hope? Well, to answer these questions, we're going to look at some scripture in the book of Hebrews. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to Hebrews chapter 10. And I love the Bible because so often we view it as just this sort of ancient textbook that I can't get anything from this. But the reality is the Bible has this amazing ability to speak to us right where we are. And so if you're, if you're here and you're, you don't know what you believe about God, you don't know what you believe about Jesus, you don't know what you believe about the Bible, totally glad that you're here, so thankful that you're here, and I hope today is helpful to you. But there may be some times where you're like, man, I, I, I don't really trust the Bible, I don't really understand what that means. You're using these terms, I don't really know what that means. Hey, just know that you can follow up with me anytime. I'll be up here after happy to answer any questions. There may be time where you're like, hey, this just sounds like a bunch of religious gobbledygook. <laughs> I understand it because maybe you haven't experienced yet. Just know that we're here for you and we want to walk with you through this journey. And I hope today that you can even find a little bit of hope. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather this morning. We thank you that you are here with us. We thank you that you want to give us hope today, hope that lasts. And so we surrender this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, this book of Hebrews, it's actually a letter that was written a couple thousand years ago to some Jewish followers of Jesus. And, and, and this, this group of followers of Jesus, they, they had experienced a number of the hope killers we just talked about. 
a number of them. And so they either had experienced or were experiencing them. And so in verse 25, we learn that they're, they're struggling with isolation a little bit because it says, and let us not neglect meeting together as some people do. So I know that there's some people who are isolating, who are disconnecting from the group, who, who are struggling to come together and come to be a part of community. They're leaving and they're not coming back. And it's not just because of a pandemic. And it's causing grief and loss and discouragement. And then the next verses, verses 26 to 31, there's this really strong warning against doing evil, doing what the Bible calls sin. And it says you shouldn't be deliberately doing the wrong thing. So we know that that was something they were struggling with. They were struggling with the evil in their own hearts and, and that the sin that they were doing. And that, that was affecting the community around them. They were struggling with that. And then verses 32 to 35 tell us about all kinds of suffering that they had experienced. It talks about being beaten and the confiscation of their property. But I'm going to read it. And as I read it, I want you to hear how they responded in the midst of that. Picking up in verse 32. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten. And sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. And when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. And even in the midst of all those suffering, in the midst of all those beatings, property being taken away, imagine for a second, we, we, we have hard things in our life, but imagine for a second a knock on your door and somebody just says, hey, I heard that you went to church. And they, you say, yeah. And they say, great, I'm taking your house now. Okay, and in the midst of it, they, they, all this was happening. He's saying, your hope wasn't affected by those things. You, you lived with great hope even in the midst of those things. And this was actually really common for Christians. There's a lot of surviving historical documents we can read by Roman historians and people who are alive at the time who, who, who marvel at the way Christians withstood suffering. And they marveled as, as Christians, we marched into the Colosseum to be, to be killed, how they marched in singing songs of joy and hope. So much so that there's a, a great Roman historian, Tertullian, who said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Because he recognized when people see the Christians suffering with joy and hope, that it actually makes them curious about who Jesus is. And he goes on to talk about a key ingredient of that hope, faith. In Hebrews 10, verse 36, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, who is coming will come and not delay, and the righteous will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Now that word faith is a Greek word, the word pistis, and it means firm conviction, being completely persuaded in the reality of something, confidence in the factual truth of something. 
And, and the author's using it. It can be used in a lot of different ways, but the author's using it in a very specific way. Two that I want to highlight. One, he talks about we live by faith. The righteous live by faith. So what does that mean? It means that faith is not just purely intellectual. It's something you live by. It's not something that you come to church and listen about. It's a vibrant, thriving part of your life. You breathe in spiritual life through it, and then you actually walk out your practical life by relying on your faith. The the, the way you manage your money, the way you treat other people, the way you care about your spouse, the way you make decisions, the way you respond to authority in your life, all of it is dictated by a vibrant, living, joyful faith. It's not stiff, it's vibrant. We live by faith. The second thing he says is it's, it's saving faith. We have faith and are saved. What does that mean, saved? I know, again, if you're new here, you don't know what you believe about Jesus. This, this is religious terminology. You might not know what it means. In Romans 10, 9, it says this. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be. Now, I could talk for, for six, seven, eight weeks about what that means and what, what salvation means. But the main thing that he's saying is the faith that we live by is based in Jesus, who came back to life and is the Lord of our lives. See, people who have this kind of faith, this is, this is what it means. People who have this kind of faith, they count on Jesus being real. You, you count on, we count on Jesus for being real, which means we, because we believe that he's alive, we talk to him, which is kind of weird. But we count on the fact that he is alive and he will actually listen to me. And, and if I need his help in something, he will actually intervene and come and be involved in my life. We have that kind of hope, that kind of faith. We count on Jesus as the Lord of our lives. We count on him to tell us who we are. We count on him to tell us what is right and wrong. We count on him to tell us which direction to go. We count on him to protect us and to provide for us. And we count on him to one day deliver us from these broken bodies, from this broken, imperfect world into a place where there's no pain and no suffering, perfectly united with him in unfailing love. So what does that faith have to do with hope? Everything. Everything, this is why Hebrews 11.1, 1, which some of you may be familiar with this, now faith, this faith that we live by that saves us because we believe in Jesus as our Lord, this faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Now, that word confidence is the word hypostasis, and it literally means that which underlies what is apparent. It is the reality that is the foundation or the basis for something else. So he's saying faith is the foundation for our hope. Our hope flows out of that confident trust that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is Lord, and that he will be at work in us. This is a whole different kind of hope than conditional hope. This is what I call confident hope. And we got a new equation for this one. This is a new equation, and it starts with hope. Not just a hope quotient that can go up and down, but actual, real, steadfast hope. And this hope 
Because Jesus is Lord starts with God's purposes, not my preferred outcome. It doesn't start with my preferred outcome. It starts with God's purpose, what he wants to accomplish because we trust him as he's alive and he's the Lord. And, and we know that whenever we try to pursue God's purposes, there's always opposition. So there's opposition there. And that's, that's, that's not just difficulties in life. That's, that's real opposition to God's purposes, which sometimes can be external and circumstantial, but also, if we're honest, sometimes it's actually in our own hearts. Sometimes in our own hearts is our own opposition to God's purposes in our lives. And then we're dependent not on our own competency, but Jesus, but Jesus, the person of Jesus. So we're not limited by ourselves, but we depend on Jesus and his competency. And let me just ask a question. What do you think is the competency level of someone who's more powerful than death? We rely on that level of competency, the competency of one who conquered death. Now, this equation is a beautiful equation. And, and it's a, it's a, it, it really transforms us when we live by it. But um, we have this problem where we sometimes only want part of the equation. And, and the reality is the equation only works if, if all the elements are there. It doesn't work if we mix and we match, right? So, so for example, sometimes we say, okay, I want God's purposes and I, I want to overcome the opposition, but I want to rely on my own strength to do it. I want to rely on my own strength to be good enough. I want to rely on my own strength to love people. I want to rely on my own strength to forgive people. I want to rely on my own strength to fix people. And if you haven't learned this already, your competency plus supernatural obstacles creates frustration and hopelessness. The good news is that God's purposes don't depend on your competency. Hallelujah. God's purposes are not limited by our competency. We have a God who's able to do, as the Bible says, immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. Sometimes we're, we're good with, the, with, with, okay, I know it's God's competencies, and I know it's God's purposes, but I'm really focused, instead on the oppositions to God's purposes, I'm focused on my own difficulties. And we say, God, I'm happy to pursue your purposes as long as you resolve all the difficulties in my life. As long as you make it easy to follow you, God. Right? So, so I hear a lot of times, you know what? Uh, God, I would love to follow God. I'd love to really pursue God. I just don't have time. So God, if I had time, then I would pray to you. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to read my Bible. I don't have time to go to church. I don't have time to call my friend who's hurting. I don't have time to serve in a ministry. I just don't, I just don't have it. So God, you resolve that problem first, and then I'll pursue your purposes. And I think God might respond to that by saying, um, hey, why don't we sit down and look at your schedule? And, and why don't we look at that schedule and we examine what are the things that are on there that are important to you and what are the things that are on there that are important to me? And maybe there's times when those things are the same thing and that's really, really awesome. But maybe there's some other times where they're not quite on the same page. Sometimes we ask God to take away things 
that make following him hard when in fact it is doing the, in doing the hard things that we realize his purposes. So then sometimes we're good with the competency, we're good with the obstacles, and, and this, this is what I see most often. Yeah, I want Jesus' love. Yeah, I want Jesus' power. Yeah, I want them to overcome opposition. But we struggle with the God's purposes part. And we hold on to the my preferred outcomes part. We want to use God's love. We want to use God's forgiveness. We want that in our lives so that we can have the things that we want for ourselves. It's hard. And, and the reason, it's hard. It's, it's really, really, really hard to trust outcomes to Jesus. It's really hard to pray and ask for him to move, to heal, to do certain things, knowing that ultimately it's up to him whether or not he does. But that's what happens when you have real hope. When you're, the anchor for your soul is, is knowing that Jesus is good. Knowing that he is alive, that he is the Lord. That's what it means to find hope in Jesus. We have this confident expectation that he will do good. Not that he will do what we want, but that he will do what's best. And not just for us, but for the people around us. Because sometimes the purpose of our life is not our own self-fulfillment. Sometimes the purpose of our life is not our own self-fulfillment. Sometimes we have to suffer so that other people can find fulfillment. How many of you want to have an impact on someone else's life? Yeah, we all say, I want to have an impact. If you want to have an impact on someone else's life, you want God to use you in someone else's life, at some point that's going to cost you your preferred outcome. I promise you. At some point, God is going to call you to have an impact on someone else in a way that costs you your preferred outcome for your own life. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. You know, this is essentially saying, it's just saying hope is faith applied to your future. That's all it is. Hope is imagining Jesus in your future in whatever situation you're in and whatever's coming, it's not imagining a certain outcome. It's imagining whatever the outcome, Jesus is there. It's been a season of hope killers for many of us. But actually, I think they're not just hope killers per se. I think what they actually are is hope revealers. That they start to reveal where we've been putting our hope. And when our hope quotient is low, we can actually say, oh, my hope quotient is low. Now God's revealing, shaking the dust off and saying, what's really underneath? What are you actually putting your faith in? Let's dig into that. And I think that's part of what God is doing in this time. And in the midst of COVID and everything else, he's saying, pulling all the stuff aside and saying, where are you putting your hope. And at the same time, he's inviting us to exchange conditional hope for confident hope. Invite, right now, Jesus says, change. You can exchange your conditional hope for your preferred outcomes, everything else, for the confident hope of Jesus being alive and is the Lord. 
This, when we do this, when we change our equations, it changes everything. Conditional hope says, man, I wish that COVID would just go away so we can get back to life as normal. Confident hope says, whether COVID goes away or not, I can still live for Jesus. I can still live a joyful life. I can trust in God and walk with him knowing I'm loved by him and live out his purposes in my life. Hope comes to church and says, I sure hope it's good today. I sure hope somebody's preaching that I like and they say something that I like. I sure hope they make me laugh. I sure hope that it's enjoyable and entertaining for me. I sure hope they pick my favorite song. Confident hope says, Jesus is there. And I'm bringing my notepad and my pencil because I'm expecting him to speak to me. And I'm gonna engage in worship and praise him because that's where I find my hope. Conditional hope says, I can't follow God unless I know where he's taken me. I'm not gonna engage in some sort of mission or engage in some sort of community or engage in thing unless I know where it's going. Confident hope says, I can follow God's call in my life even if I don't know what will happen. Actually, later in Hebrews, in Hebrews 11, uh, the, the, the writer talks about what we commonly call the hall of faith. And he talks about some specific examples. And he uses the example of a guy named Abraham. In Hebrews 11, verse 8, he says, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. We can have confidence to go to follow God's call on our life without knowing where it's going to end up. When your to-do list piles up and you get busy, conditional hope says, I don't have time to pray. Confident hope says, I will seek first the kingdom of God and have confident hope that he will provide what I need. Conditional hope says, man, I sure hope that God brings us an amazing lead pastor, senior pastor, who will teach the way I want him to teach, who will like the sports teams that I like, who will be everything I want them to be. He will lead the way I want them to be. What's important to me will be what's important to him. Confident hope says Jesus is the head of our church. And he will bring the right person to lead our church. And, we can, and even, more, even more so, Confident Hope said, Jesus is leading our church right now. And we can trust him to lead and continue to move. We've actually been talking about this as a staff, about how we trust and look to Jesus as our chief shepherd right now. And so we did something. So if you go up to our offices, you, you will see there's these nameplates by each of our offices and each, each person. So you see, there's Kimberly, Pastor Kimberly, that's her office, her nameplate. Then Dwayne, Pastor Dwayne, that's his. And then we got Pastor Greg, that's his nameplate. And so we went to one of these offices and we said, we wanna remember that Jesus is the head of our church. So this is what we put on the office. And we said, this is, this is our reality. So if you want to meet with our lead pastor, here's an office. And there's Bibles in there and devotionals in there. And you can go meet with him. Because guess what? He's real. He's alive. And we can depend on him. Conditional hope is the desire for something good to happen 
or the longing for something that's difficult to end or the wishful thinking that someday we'll get the perfect job, the perfect circumstance. Confident hope is the conviction that there is a God who is worthy of worship. A God who can work all things easy, hard to the good of those who love him. And there's a God who hung the stars in the sky and knows the hairs on your head and counts them when you're sleeping and sees the little lice that are in I'm just kidding. So what does this mean? How does this mean practically? What do, what do we do? How do we apply this confident hope to our lives? Three things. Go through these real quickly. Three things. One, you got to actually know Jesus. It's hard to have hope and faith in someone you just don't know. Isn't it? I have a lot of hope and confidence in my wife because I know her and I experience her and I've seen what she's capable of. This is why reading the Bible is so important because it is through the Bible that we get to see the faithfulness of God, see the faithfulness of Jesus, see the character and get to know him so that we can trust him. So I encourage you, hey, know Jesus. Maybe that means jumping into the Bible reading plan. If you picked up a journal, which by the way, they're out there on sale for 10 bucks at the cafe, I think. There's a reading plan where you can read through the Bible each day. You could pick up that journal each day and do a devotional. Get to know God. Get to know Jesus. Another thing I encourage you is just read Hebrews 11. Read Hebrews 11. It's that hall of faith I was talking about. You'll see some great examples of people who trusted Jesus. Number two, seek his purposes. Look at your life and say, God, what are your goals for my marriage? What are your goals for my career? What are your goals for my money? What's your goals for my house? What's your goals for my children? What's your goals for my car? What's your goals for my vacation? Invite him and seek his purposes. And then finally, take action. Take action in faith, choosing to trust him, even if you don't know what that outcome will be. Whether that means serving someone, reaching out to someone, living generously and giving, take a step of action where you actually put your hope in Jesus. Not emotional, I feel good about things, but a tangible step of trust in the living Lord. The band's gonna come out and play one more song and then there's gonna be a prayer team that's up here ready to pray for you. If you're low on hope, if you're ready to change your hope equation, I encourage you to come up and these people would love to pray with you. Let me pray for us now. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather today and remind ourselves of where our hope truly can be, where our hope truly lies. And so we ask you, as we find our hope in you, as we put our trust in you, we ask you to fill us up with confident expectation of seeing you. We ask that you also help us give hope and bring hope to others this week. It's in your name we pray. Amen.